I'm actually going to take issues with the the way the question is. The, the person's mindset to ask the question from Red Bluff, California. Why do people, quote unquote, choose their battles with their kids when the parents are in charge and should automatically win every battle? You got to read that again. Why do people choose their battles with their kids when the parents are in charge and should win every battle? Oh. Welcome to another episode of the Strong Family Project Podcast. I'm Joe, joined by Mel, and today we're going to dive into a huge question and answer episode on the biggest things that people have been emailing us about families and parents. Welcome back to the Strong Family Project Podcast, where we guide you on the path to raising confident, independent, and resilient children in a strong family environment. All right, Mel, here we go. I have our spreadsheet brought up of about 1,200 questions that have been asked. (laughs) And so I'm going to just do a random choice. Okay. You ready? Game face on? We're going to do as many as we can in this 30-minute episode. First question, how do you get kids to take no for an answer? Yes. That's a good example. We just had a child poke his head in the window as we're recording. Now, let's keep rolling, okay, though, because we got rolling. a huge busy day to, to fit That's this right. all in. Let's go. No for an answer. So I think the best thing to do with kids is to give them options. So if there's an opportunity where something needs to happen and they can choose between something and something else, and the third thing that they really might want is the no, at least give them a choice of what they can do. So I think giving them options that you're okay with and then they feel like they have a sense of control because they get to choose from options even if they weren't their ideal option. Like if they want ice cream for dinner, like, okay, we're not going to have ice cream, but would you like chicken parm or would you like a quesadilla? So this way you're, they're getting the no, but they're still getting control, feeling of control by choosing from other options. I agree with a lot of that. One thing I would add is... When you say no, you do typically say why, but you don't over-explain. I think over-explaining leads too much leeway, and it becomes a bad habit. You say no because of this and that, and maybe this, and I feel bad about this time, and I'm tired of this, and you throw in so many reasons that they don't clearly understand why you said no. So simplify, clarify, and just say it pretty clearly. And I think as parents, we have to keep our response, our feelings response in check. I don't always want to say no. I may feel bad about saying no, but I don't need to explain that away to the child. I need to be a bit more confident with the no and just move on. Do you think it's appropriate for parents to use because I said so? No, (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) I'm going to say why I think it's appropriate in some situations, but I'll let you go first. My caveat was going to be... No, I give the caveats. Go ahead with why you don't like it. (laughs) Okay. I don't like it because I think kids deserve to understand why things are the way they are. However, I think sometimes there are moments when it's not appropriate to explain, so it's more of a matter of no, but I will explain it to you later when it's an appropriate time. So you wanted to throw the caveat in anyways. I have two caveats. Okay. First one, (laughs) let's say you are, this is the more common one. Let's say you're burnt out, you're tired, you're exhausted, and you just don't feel like going into an explanation. That's when you can use what Mel said, which is, all right, it's no, and I'm going to sit down and we'll talk about it tomorrow. I'll explain why. And then buy yourself some time, but you also set up the time in which you will give them the more clear explanation. So get yourself some rest if you need to. Second one is in emergency situations. When something needs to get done quickly, hey, go over here. 
why? Hey, you just got to go there right now and then you can solve it afterwards. But you do have to have that ability to turn it on in an emergency situation. But typically, because I said so, if that's the go-to answer, that's something that I would suggest avoiding. All right, Mel, how do you teach ethics to children? I think that starts with having family core values. So if we know what we stand for, whenever some kind of a, whenever some kind of situation arises, we filter it through our value system. So if it fits our values, if it aligns with the values, as long as your values are ethical, of course, then I think that would be the best way. Our kids, we've been going through our values with the kids weekly for years now. And you slowly start to see how they start to process their own decision-making at school. One of our kids, one of the kids he's been hanging out with, he doesn't really enjoy his company as much anymore. And I think it's really just over time he realizes this kid doesn't align with his values. And he himself said it. On the bus ride down to school, down to soccer after school, I just put my headphones in and listen to some music because I don't like what these kids are talking about. So we see that play out over time when we reiterate our values. In the previous episode, we're going to talk about how you learn or we talked about how you can teach anyone anything. And there's a little bit of a process to it. It's true for ethics, but I'd recommend going back and check out that learning episode and that'll help you out a lot. All right. Next question. Easy one. How many kids do you have? Three. Yeah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank goodness. (laughs) Next one. Coming in from Seattle, what if we feel we shouldn't become parents? Okay. I I think a strong family can simply be a couple as well. I think if you have values set up between the two of you, I think that'll still make your family strong, whether it's two or ten people. Okay. A couple suggestions. We did an episode on questioning beliefs. Question that belief on why you think that. And then make sure that is actually true for you, which it could be. And then that's okay. And I'll say that you can use a strong family path for the two of you to have core values together and have time, family meals together. And all that's still very important as a couple. But you also want to make sure, just filter it through to make sure it's not someone else's outside influence that's telling you that, hey, you need to do this first in life. And you feel this pressure. And so make sure it's because you truly don't want you and your significant other truly don't want to become parents or it's because you've been influenced too much by outsides and and maybe you need some time to think about it. I was listening to um, Jim Rohn's seminars, one of his seminars about having the best year ever. And I was taking, I'm starting to take notes so that I can remember what he's talking about. And one of the things he said was make sure that your actions are from your own conclusions, not based on somebody else's. You might hear something from someone, they might give you advice. We were even told when we first got married, We started having kids early on, and my doctor at the time said, don't you want to just travel first? And I thought to myself, is that what I should do? But once I filtered that, I drew drew my own conclusion that wasn't going to work for us. So I, I took what they said, but then we drew our own conclusion and went with that. I will not get ranting on doctor's opinions on things oh, outside of the medical That's just fields. an example of somebody who thought they knew better for we me. We had an incident where they were trying to tell me about working out and it just oh, wasn't. That's right. It was not good for anybody. All right, next one. Mel, this one is only for you because I don't know if I can answer this one. How to deal with kids being dirty without turning them into germaphobes. <laughs> okay, this has been a process for me, hasn't it? Okay. 
This has been a, I say it's been a process for me because when I had my first Logan 13 years ago, even when he was just eating like at his high chair, I wiped him like every five minutes because I couldn't stand that. But I think that's a different kind of dirty. That's just food dirty. But I think in terms of not becoming a germaphobe, I think it's important that kids understand how you get sick. And so if my kid is like taking their hand and like touching the bottom of their shoe and they just walked around school all day, that's gross. I think that might be important to point out. And I do have them sanitize their hands when they get in the car after school sometimes. However, I think basic sanitation, when you get home from anywhere, wash your hands. So those basic things are important and knowing how to do those things is important. But I think constantly talking about germs and making them afraid of germs is where the line might get crossed. I think some parents start to talk a little bit too much about they, they instill fear of it instead of giving their kids, here's what you can do to try to stay healthy. Is that clear? So I, some of the basic things like washing hands, but not talking too much about fears. So if you have fears as an adult, that's okay. Maybe talk to another adult about that, but to not try to instill the fear in the kid. So how you present it is really important. Very good, mom. I agree with you on that. It's you have standards, you hold those standards and you don't add emotions on top of those standards. And that's the answer for a lot of things in parenting. Well, Create you, standards, don't have to justify, don't, oh, ooh, ah, ee, this is, I really think maybe you should wash your hands. Oh, the, don't touch that drinking fountain. Ah. <laughs> that's all these emotions on top. Hey, don't touch a drinking fountain. It could be dirty, but saying it in those two different ways is very different. But you have to catch yourself. I still do catch myself. But I want, what I wanted to say was in, when uh, Henry was in preschool, they made this sign and it said, when you wash your hands, count to 17 or sing happy birthday. And we had that taped in our bathroom at home for years. And even now, sometimes I'll like my oldest will go wash his hands. And I'm like, that was like five seconds. So I go back and I'm just jokingly, like, hey, make sure you count to 17 or, and we do it in a funny, silly way, but it's still me with that constant gentle pressure of hand washing is probably the best thing you can do. How do you make two younger boys get along? <laughs> Now, I would say there's some, I don't know, I don't have any clarity on this question coming from a Denver parent. It really depends if it's both your younger boys, we'll assume it is, like you have two sons versus a younger, your child and another child at school. So the answers are going to be different. Let's just assume it's same family, you have two younger kids. The first thing for me, because Mel, I think is pausing and waiting for me to go, <laughs> is you set standards. You hold the standards without emotion. Same as the last one. And what I mean by that is you can allow them to play and you don't get in and nitpick them. And then they won't start nitpicking each other. And sometimes you have to let them work through some of their conflict themselves and understand like they are making their problems worse if they keep arguing and a parent doesn't swoop in and they're not like getting the other person in trouble. We have to let them work through it, let them explain what their side of the issue is with it and just hold the high standard. Okay, this isn't going to, we're not going to continue like this. So what do you boys want to do? We talked in a previous episode about this method called you have the floor. So when there is a situation that arises, when they're arguing or not getting along, you don't just say stop it or yell at them. It's a matter of let's sit down, we're gonna hash this out and teach them proper communication skills. So first person explains their side of the story, next person gets to clarify and then vice versa. And then if they're old enough, you come, you try to help them come to some kind of a compromise. And I think another piece of it besides teaching communication skills is to try to find things that they enjoy doing together. 
like our two older ones like to go for bike rides. They might not enjoy all their time together other times of the day, but they do have some things where they can bond. And ours also bond over taking care of their little brother. So I think finding things that they enjoy doing in common, and then also teaching them how to more properly communicate with each other so things don't come to a head as often as they may right now. All right, Mel, we're going to go the other way because I like the way the person worded this question from Evanston, Illinois. Advice needed when your child has a tiff with a friend. A tiff. (laughs) I like that word. I do think the communication skills are important. So if you model these communication skills I just mentioned in the previous question with siblings or between parent and child, if you only have one, I think that will cross over into friendship tiffs, so to speak. I know it's hard when you don't have more context, but I think it's important to not just become a blamer or a pointing the finger person. If let's say the tiff is something like they got into a fight over soccer on the re- at that recess, I might explain to my kid that evening, what do you think you could say to this friend tomorrow? And try to almost practice ahead of time. Just role-playing, that's the word I was trying to think of. I think oftentimes communication skills are the most important because what I try to teach my kids is if I don't ask questions and find out more information, I end up making assumptions and I'm often wrong. So I think role modeling, asking questions, trying to figure things out, and also keeping a low heart rate, which we've talked about before. Try to keep things calm and figure out what's going on. And I'll go first on this one. Because I'm actually going to take issues with the the way the question is, the, the person's mindset to ask the question from Red Bluff, California. Why do people, quote unquote, choose their battles with their kids when the parents are in charge and should automatically win every battle? You got to read that again. Why do people choose their battles with their kids when the parents are in charge and should win every battle? Oh. So I... Number one, you have to listen to the episode of Relationship Capital. It's laid out. It's one of our first 10 episodes, I believe. And so you choose your battle with your kids, with life, with anyone else, because it's not worth your focus to fight every small thing. You're going to burn yourself out. And then you start using the low-grade reasoning that we talked about earlier because I said so. Like, I'm the parent. Okay, you don't need to explain that all day, every day. They understand you're the parent. You're their parent. And so saying something so obvious to them all the time really degrades their self-confidence. And it really makes you look as like a poor parent because you can't actually articulate or use any sort of other intelligent influence factor than because I said so. And I really encourage you to listen to the episode on relationship capital. There's no reason to go spend and burn through all your leadership ability in your family to nitpick and just say, I'm the parent, so I automatically win everything. That's going to set them up with a terrible mindset. It's going to destroy their self-confidence. And it's going to keep you from growing because you're using such a limited set of skills to to lead someone. So this one upsets me. I wish they had a different mindset, especially the part that upsets me, which is subtly in this question. Why do people? Why don't you reflect on your own family and what you need? If you really think everything's you got everything figured out, that you're pointing the fi- finger at other people and sending us the question, why do other people aren't as good as me? Because I just rule with an iron fist. Mel and I don't have it all figured out. We're trying to give you a range of answers and we try to be vulnerable and honest when we are looking for help and growth. 
the submitting a question by pointing at other parents and saying, why don't they rule their house with essentially an iron fist, I think is a very low level way to go through life in that mindset. It's not going to help anybody. My perspective is we're not raising like children to stay children. We're raising children who will eventually be adults. So if you treat them like you have to win all the time, like Joe said, they will not have good confidence. And then when they do grow up and are on their own, I don't believe they will know how to function very well. That's a nice way of saying is you're raising submissive adults. And so when they get older, they'll just default to authority because authority says so. And they will just be passive and they'll lead weak lives because of your parenting style. You said it much nicer. (laughs) I try to, whenever our kids have an issue, even if I, not that I want to win, but I want to teach them something. I see it as, I've talked about this in a previous episode, I try to see everything as an opportunity. Can I help my kid work through this issue? Let's say it's a misbehavior. They need to start to figure out and understand and problem solve how to change that. So just telling them, you're wrong, I'm right, doesn't really move you forward at all. And if your goal at the end of the day is to have a good bond with your child, one of our values is wanting to be together. I want to be bonded with them. So when they're adults, they still want to hang out. And if I treat them as, I don't know if the right way to put it is less than, they're not going to want to spend time with me later on. I have one more that's going to be a little bit in that gray area. And then we'll get back to some more lighthearted questions in the last couple minutes. All caps. Why are children so ungrateful? (laughs) You know what? You know how I listen to Dennis Prager a lot? He talks about gratitude all the time. And he says, gratitude is not something you're born with. People kind of default to ingratitude. And his example is, how come kids don't say thank you on their own? Why do parents have to always remind their kids to say thank you? It's because it is not natural. It needs to be practiced. Again, we talked about role modeling earlier. We, gratitude is such a huge part of our day. My kids laugh at me because no matter what the circumstance, I will point out a silver lining, something to be grateful for, even if it like totally sucks. We do it that way at dinner. We always share something we're grateful for from the day. And I think just so much of it is role modeling and realizing that kids just aren't born thankful. We have to teach them that it's a value, not an eight. And I'll say from the parent's perspective, yes to everything Mel said, kind of the way the question is all caps. There's probably something in your life that you feel like you're doing things and you deserve gratitude for those things. You should be doing things because of the right things to do and you feel that's right. Whether people are, you can't control if someone else is thankful to you for you doing the right things. And if you pin your your mindset and your self-confidence on what how others react to you doing things, then you're setting yourself up for failure. So I would try to be less dependent on other people being grateful. Now, we practice gratitude at dinner. There's a lot of role modeling things in there because we do feel it's important. But if we do something and a person doesn't say thank you, it shouldn't bother you that much. Like you, you should be doing the thing because you think it's right, not for that pat on the back. I agree. And I think with kids, you need to have a sense of humor as well. If I do something for the kids and I really want the thank you or whatever, even if I don't have to have it, sometimes I'll jokingly say, oh, thanks, mom. So they can see that I'm priming them. This might be something you want to show gratitude for. Or you jokingly at the dinner table often say, yeah, aren't you thankful for the fact that we have lights and a house to live in and like heat? So all those things that I think a lot of people take for granted 
we try to make sure we are grateful for those things as well. So even if the day was completely terrible, aren't we still thankful that we have a home and that we have each other? How do you get your kids to hear you? I'll share a couple first. Okay. When you're saying something important, say it differently than everything else you're saying. It's called a pattern interrupt. That's why I paused in the middle of that sentence. When you pause, people tend to look and actually hear you better because you speak in a different way. And so that's just one small tactic. But the other way is to say more important things more regularly. And so just, you're not nitpicking. You're not talking a lot of fluff. Serious people have serious conversations. You sit down and talk to them regularly, whether it's a dinner time, if you're able to as a family, whether it's a family meeting, all those are part of the strong family path that gets your family to communicate better. And I think it'd be good to listen to the relationship episode, one of those first seven parts of the path, because one of the things that we try to do is spend individual time with each child. So I'll go for a walk with my oldest. Or I, or my example is I pick him up from school so that I have those 15 minutes to chat with him and connect. I think the more time you invest, it's like you're investing in a bank. Like if you spend individual time with each child, you're investing so that when there is something that you really need to share with them or advice you need to give, they're more likely to listen because you have shown that your relationship with them is important. All right. Two more. This is an interesting one because we've talked about it a little. And this person's observant. So they've been listening to some of the episodes and watching it on YouTube or following us on Instagram. She says, like me, I see you in shorts with snow on the ground. <laughs> How is your little man handling it? <laughs> Which is interesting. The kids can certainly wear pants. They choose whatever they want to wear. And if they're cold, we make sure that they go out and they feel cold and they come back in and they can wear pants but we're not going to tell them up front, you must wear this because then they'll start to rebel against it. I wear shorts because I run hot. Mel does not wear shorts because she gets colder and that both those things are perfectly fine. But it is an interesting question because we have talked about and dealt with this. We want to teach our kids to listen to their own bodies. We talked earlier about choosing your battles. We choose to not fight the pants battle. So if my kid goes to school like the other day, it was going to be like only in the 50s. And I asked him, I said, do you want to take a long sleeve shirt? Nope. Okay. So, and then during the day, sometimes I thought to myself, I wonder if he's cold. But honestly, I trust that when he comes home, if he's cold, the next time he'll remember and take that jacket. So I think it's a battle choosing thing. And our kids almost enjoy the fact that they wear shorts. <laughs> I like to stand out and be different. Oh, all right, Mel. Let's get this last one. Uh-huh. There's so many good ones over a thousand questions. So this is a good one to Anna. What's the best tips for new parents? And if you have kids that are older, reflect back a little bit and take a moment like, Hey, what would you say? Because there's a lot of great minds that listen to the podcast, which we appreciate. And you can even comment in the, especially on YouTube in the comments so people can see what you think the biggest tip is for new parents. For me, this one's coming from Canada, Langley, Canada. So what's the best tip for new parents? Okay. I would go to, this sounds like a shameless plug, but I would go to strongfamilyproject.com and download for free the steps of the strong family path that lay out the seven things that we think are critical for families to do. And that includes establishing your core values, which is what you and your spouse could do even before you have kids. And you get on the same page because when you do have kids, there's going to be a, a, it's going to be a big disruption to your life. Your life is going to change in a big way. And the easiest way to make that successful is get on the same page early and get prepared for those types of life so that you don't think you're not surprised by them. 
And so build your connection first because the most important relationship in your household is typically the one with your spouse, especially when you have kids and especially when kids are young. Don't sweep too many things under the rug. There is no better time than now to discuss, solve together, set core values, set routines, so that when you add kids on top of that, it is not a huge disruptor. They're now going to be integrated into a plan that you have already established. So get that stuff in order. Now, would I say, hey, you have to have all these things done in order to have kids? No. A lot of people wait too long. They they wait for the perfect time, and it just never really happens. But get some of these things in order, and you can do it on the fly, but understand the direction that you're going is to have a relatively organized life so when you throw someone else in, it doesn't become complete chaos. And my thoughts were very similar to yours. If I could go back, I wish we had started these things sooner. I think routines are really important for the child and the parents so that you know what to expect. Like bedtime was my first routine that I started because it helped prime me to know, okay, the day's over, now we can rest and relax. But having those values set up ahead of time, I think is important. And honestly, once you have a baby or once you even get pregnant, don't make sure the focus still remains on the couple. You need to make sure that stays strong. Because at the end of the day, the kids will eventually grow up and leave. And you want to make sure that you have invested and continue to invest in your parent relationship. So always, I think that's super, super important and get those values set up. And I think that's a wonderful way to bond with your spouse. We started taking walks together whenever it was still in a stroller. We just walked around and talked. So that was our time together, even if the baby has to be with you. But just recognize that Oftentimes people fall into parenting and just think it'll all work itself out. It needs some effort and needs some work. Same thing with marriage. It needs effort and work to make things run smoothly. So the the sooner you can get on the path and start some of these things, I think you will reap the benefits tenfold. And so we want to thank everyone for submitting questions. If you have them, there's two places you can put them, which is in the YouTube comments. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening to the podcast, visit strongfamilyproject.com, download the path, and you can reply to any of our emails with a question. We have a lot to go through. It is great for us to get the questions because even if we're not specifically answering question by question like we are today, we're integrating them into full episodes. And some of these questions gives us such good perspective on what's going on out there. Parents are struggling with bullying. Parents are struggling with a lot of questions. How can I afford more than one kid? How do you afford kids? How can I afford having a family? And these are all really important. How do you stop worrying? I worry at night about my kids. These type of questions are really important and things that we can help you with. And part of it is setting some time, clearing your mind, and integrating yourself into some personal development like this. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the questions. If you find the episodes helpful, do please visit us on iTunes or on Spotify. Give it us a follow. And if you think we're worth a five star, we really appreciate it. Talk to you on the next episode.